So I'm delighted to be here then um, at Harris Manchester College with um, the New Zealand composer Anthony Ritchie, whose um, oratorio Gallipoli to the Somme is being performed this evening at the Sheldonian Theatre. So welcome, Anthony. Thank you. Um, so I think probably we should start, I think people listening to this podcast will probably be interested, uh, first of all, in, in learning a bit more about your journey as a, as a composer. Hmm. So how did you... How did you come to composition rather than, say, performance or, or another? Um, well, I, I had the good fortune to be brought up in a musical family. So uh, my father was actually a composer as well, John Ritchie, and uh, my mother sang quite a lot. She sang solos. So we had music around the family all the time, and my siblings likewise were into, into music. So I had a good start, and uh, I just enjoyed um, improvising at the piano rather than learning my pieces when I was a teenager. Very naughty, but uh, <laughs> and out of that grew composing basically. So I've I've been composing since I was eleven or twelve. Mm. And do you do most of your composing on the piano at the piano, or do you? Yes, I do. Um, by that process. <laughs> yes, I do most of mine at the piano. Mm. Um, uh, these days, I will use the computer as well, um, and so I go to the computer and sometimes will play the music back through the computer system. I try nice. So uh, I, I much prefer working things out at the piano as much as possible. Um, yeah. oh, fantastic. Um, and so you, you, you were described as one of New Zealand's most prolific composers, and you certainly have this wonderfully vast and wide-ranging corpus of work. I think your first, your first composition, Sonata for Solo Violin, was written in 1976. Yes, yeah? it seems a long fantastic. time ago. <laughs> but um, I suppose in the, in the theme of the, the seminar series that we've been running, thinking about post-war commemoration and reconciliation, I wanted to ask um, whether much of the work you've done has engaged with questions of war and or commemoration. Not really, no. No, I can honestly say that. I've, um, I have written works surrounding issues like disaster. Um, my fourth symphony, for example, was uh, a sort of commemoration for the earthquake in Christchurch, which you probably know of. Yeah. in 2011. So I grappled with rather similar issues with that work to, to the one that we're going to be talking about. So, mm. And, and what, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but what, what do you see as the link between music and war and perhaps trauma as well? How can music re respond to that? Or how has that influenced your, your work? Um, well, I think there's quite a number of interesting links. Um, first of all, a really fundamental one is that music is part of humans' lives, and so when people go to war, they sing songs, you know, and sometimes they'll make up their own songs based on a well-known tune, and uh, in the First World War, there was a lot of that, uh, and I, in fact, I quote one little ditty, The Bells of Hell, um, and uh, which is based around another poem, but was, was taken up by the um, soldiers and changed, and so I like, to, I like to use that vernacular, if you like, uh, in my own music. Um, I guess that's one aspect of it. Um, for me also, uh, there, there are other links, but uh, I guess um, music is a way of um, taking words and going beyond just the mere meaning of words and exploring the emotion behind them. Um, and I think uh, a, a lot of soldiers, and a lot of people found the experience of war almost beyond words. Well, you know, the, the stereotype of the soldier who didn't talk about things afterwards. Um, and I think music can somehow tap into a part of the brain that's beyond that. And, and uh, yeah, that's another area that I'm 
Yeah. I see a link between the two. Yeah. So, so coming then uh, to, to the oratorio that's being performed this evening, Gallipoli to the Sum, mm. I wondered if you could say a bit more about your inspiration in composing that particular work. Well, first of all, it was actually a commissioned work yeah. uh, to, to commemorate the First World War um, by the Dunedin Symphony Orchestra. Mm. I was reading around this topic because uh, I've, I was ashamed to say that I was, wasn't terribly well read on, on the, in the area of the First World War, even though my grandparents were involved. And, um, but I, after a lot of reading around the topic and some advice from people like Kate Kennedy and uh, yeah. Chris Pugsley, another war historian, uh, who steered me in different directions. I, I found the interesting way when was through personal stories. Um, there's been so much written about the war that it's almost overwhelming, so I, all I can do is add my little idiosyncratic personal touch. And so I chose particular stories, and the one, the glue that holds it all together is uh, the story of Alexander Aitken. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what can, you, what can you tell us a bit more about his, his story? Yes, well, he was a soldier from uh, Dunedin or Otago, mm. where I live. Um, and he was a fine musician, a very fine amateur musician, played the violin. Uh, and he even played in some London orchestras when he, before the war. Um, he, he was also a brilliant mathematician. He became a professor of mathematics at Edinburgh. Um, so quite a remarkable man. Uh, but he, he was sent to Gallipoli initially, uh, towards the end of the Gallipoli conflict, so he, he managed to survive that. Mm. He took his violin, uh, took an old fiddle with him and entertained the troops. And he, there's even one scene of him playing uh, his violin in the trench at Gallipoli uh, mm. at Christmas times, uh, Christmas carols. So I've integrated that into my work. Mm. Uh, but from there he then got sent to Somme in 1916. And he got badly injured in one of those um, futile battles <laughs> uh, in September 1916. Uh, and so, but again, his violin survived, despite him being wounded, uh, it survived and someone sent it back to mm -hmm. him, back in New Zealand. Um, so I've, I've used his various parts of his story and his memories and his thoughts uh, to sort of hold the whole thing together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm fascinated actually by the, those sort of personal stories that come in and the, the range of texts that actually feature across the, the oratorio itself. So you, mm. you bring in um, things like Maori songs, extracts from soldiers' diaries, um, from Aitken's uh, book itself, mm. war poetry, and the closing section also has a part of a speech given by um, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, I mm. believe. So I, th I, I just found that fascinating, that, that whole range of texts and personal narratives that you draw on. So how do you understand this relationship between the texts and the music? Well, uh, I guess first of all, I, uh, you know, I, I, took a, I had a lot of different ideas uh, and some of them were, had already been done. Like, I mean, the, the Britain War Requiem was a, a favourite work of mine. Mm. So my initial draft was a somewhat similar idea, but uh, actually it was Kate who said, you know, steered me towards lesser known poets and writers and said, you know, there, there's a whole raft of stuff. And, um, so I, I deliberately headed towards a variety of texts, so quite ordinary people and maybe lesser known poets. The two New Zealand poets who are represented are not that well known. Uh, that one of them is very little known, and, uh, and yet those texts said something that that was important for my for my piece, so um, I guess I, I uh, that's that's that was my initial 
way of dealing with the texts. Um, you were asking about the relationship between the texts and the, and the music. Um, I guess, um, I, my, for me, it's very important to have a, uh, a natural feel to the music uh, with the text. So the, the, the texts want to feel like they were designed to be sung, you know, they're not being set to music as, as such. They also have to be pleasing to be sung, so that you, you, you know, I've tried to very much use the, the sounds of the words to, to make interesting and beautiful sounds. Um, but also I think the most important thing is that, you know, the, the relationship of the music has to go beyond what the, the, the surface of the words being spoken, they have to somehow um, delve into our subconscious and bring emotion up uh, that can't otherwise be tapped into. Yeah, for me that's the most important part about almost important relationship between music and yeah. words. Mm. Yeah. And I, I suppose we've, we've touched on this briefly already, but um, so this work responds very much to the challenge of commemorating, you know, we're at the centenary of the, of the Great War. And, and what do you see as music's commemorative power? Um, so, so, you know, particularly classical music, what, what, what potential does it have in remembrance and commemoration? Um, well, I think first and foremost, uh, it's nice if it can make the event seem real to uh, contemporary people. So, you know, someone coming off the street, not necessarily a musical background, uh, living today, and they go and they, they can put themselves in the, in the shoes of someone in 1916 getting ready to go into battle or, uh, you know, saying farewell to their loved ones. Um, so I really wanted that immediacy to, to come across. Because I know myself, when I was younger, and my grandmother talked about the Great War, it seemed an abstract thought concept, really. It didn't really mean that much to me at all. Um, so just trying to bring that home, that reality home, I guess, important. I mean, I think there are limitations to what a commemoration can do. Yeah. We can't really reenact how it was. We don't. We, in fact, it's presumptuous to do that, I think. And, and in a way, my music tried not to do that, tried not to do too much word painting and description of bombs going off and things. I mean, there are, there are some violent episodes, but it's not, it's not designed to replicate battle. It's, it's, uh, it's something else. It's um, trying to remember the events and uh, uh, to get in people's shoes and also the ultimate message, of course, is to uh, try and avoid this sort of happening again. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and so the, the, the piece, or the oratorio, premiered in New Zealand in 2016. And what, how, how did the audience respond? What, what responses have come in since? Um, well, it was, it was quite a special moment at the end because there was a long silence. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think people felt moved, you know. I, I had, that was the comments I had back from people was that they found it very powerful. And uh, um, yes, they, and I had to, it was nice, I had some elderly People, some people from the choir, uh, come up and say, you know, my grandfather or my father even was was in, in Gallipoli or whatever, and how special this that this was to commemorate it in such a way. So that was really special. Yeah. yeah. And, and what about the performers themselves? Yes, they were. Um, I think they they were uh, they got something out of it. Mm. Um, uh, and it all made sense when it all finally came together because the orchestra rehearses by itself initially and the choir by itself and then it all comes together. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think they, they found it quite a, a special event. Yeah. Wonderful. And I think we've got some of the same 
singers from City Choir Dunedin over for this performance this evening. So there's some sort of continuity going on there, which is quite nice. Yes, we've got the choir and we have the leader for violin, Tessa Peterson, yes. and, um, uh, and Annalise, the soloist mm-hmm. from New Zealand, has come, come out. Yeah, that's so. wonderful. Mm. No, we're really looking forward to tonight's performance. We're really thrilled. And I'm curious again to see how the audience tonight is going to respond, whether there'll be that silence perhaps at the end. Well, that's right, it's a different audience, so it will be interesting for me. No, it's wonderful. Thank you very, very much, and and I look forward to this evening. All right. Thanks.